0: Welcome to Viewpoints, listeners. I'm your host, Henry So It gives me great pleasure to welcome Frank Marinko, Executive Coach and Facilitator at Empathinko and Passaway, website specialising in leadership, empowerment... And practical ways of making the most of our beautiful lives. Welcome, Frank.
1: Hey, Henry. Good day. It's always such a pleasure to engage with you and your listeners.
0: Oh, and it's always a pleasure, Frank, uh, to have you on our program. We've uh, we've moved in a slightly different direction with this new series of podcasts. Uh, as we said, specialising in leadership, empowerment, and practical ways of making the most of our beautiful lives. And uh, I'm sure our listeners will uh, they'll be treated to something very interesting and valuable and practical. Now, now, Frank, you say leadership is a common thing, more common than most people are led to believe. It's, it's not just the big bosses at the top of some company or organisation who lead. You might like to explain that.
1: Yeah, Henry. You know, thousands of men and women are out there every day leading teams and projects within their workplaces and their families. But when we find ourselves in those leadership roles, we quickly realise this is no walk in the park. We come to face some really daunting truths you know number one leading means making significant changes number two making changes in a group of people is tough without changing individual behaviors now sustaining these behavioral changes ain't easy without (laughs) digging deeper into the meanings behind those behaviors And so leading others in transforming their fundamental ways of thinking requires us to consider transforming ourselves too. So, you know, Henry, you've been involved for many years in leadership of really quite large teams.
0: What have you found
1: when exerting leadership?
0: Look uh, all of those challenges, as you've put so succinctly, Frank uh, uh, ring true. Uh, I think one of the one of the challenges that uh, I think leaders need to address is that the bigger your team, the more complex all of those challenges become because everyone brings a different perspective and even, to a daily meeting or a daily gathering of you, people come in a different frame of mind to what they were at the last meeting. And when you've got uh, 10, 20, 30 or 40 people or more in your team, uh, a- acknowledging the fact that when you're speaking one language to them, it's being interpreted up to 50 different ways. So you've got to understand that. You've, I think you've got to be a very adaptable person. You've got to have extremely good emotional intelligence to be able to read your team and and then at the same time, Frank, empathise with them. And at the same time, uh, and this is so true, I always think of families uh, when I was a child, Frank, uh, there were five of us and we all wanted our equal share of attention. from yeah. our parents and we're very quick to see inconsistencies uh, even imaginary inconsistencies so acknowledging diversity within your team and at the same time providing a, a level of consistency requires a, a pretty flexible adaptable in-tune person and I, I liked the, the last thing you said too was transforming ourselves I think more often than not Uh, that can be one of those things that uh, flies under the radar and maybe sometimes we change without even knowing it and it's not always changing for the better um, in in terms of our team and Mm -hmm. if we're not aware of the changes that are going on, we think we're still behaving in a certain way but because of the team we're with, they've had an impact on us. Uh, So we, we really have to put some time into, well do we need to change because at times our messages just don't get through so that's a really really complex one but i think what you've summed up there they are the really big challenges
1: yeah you know it's fascinating henry despite our best efforts to bring about change and even with the most genuine intentions we often see absolutely bugger all significant (laughs) progress you know, trying to change ourselves or those we lead won't work unless we understand why we resist change in the first place. We need to grasp how our own immunity to change affects our lives.
0: Now, mm, that, that's an interesting term. To, Frank, I, I hadn't—I'd never heard uh, uh, resistance to change explained in that terms. Our own immunity to change. What do you exactly mean by that?
1: Well, understanding immunity to change is really tricky because we're actually trapped inside of our own immune systems and that's hidden from our view. So we're living inside them, not the other way around. We're too caught up even to realize it and that's why we need a new approach to personal learning. In this podcast and series, I'll present new technology based on transformative language that I've discovered over 20 years as an executive coach. And I'll give you an example, Henry. Mm -hmm. You know, the person who wants to change their relationship to alcohol and drinking to excess, not only because of the social or health issues, but because of the family issues, because of the financial issues but they continue inhabiting and situating in groups that congregate after hours and consume alcohol. Mm -hmm. You know, Friday night drinks or staying back after training at sporting clubs. So they get trapped inside of their immunity to change. And this foundation of this new technology all lives in language. So each language form is like a tool that transforms how we think and interact making transformative learning more possible. You know, there's language going on all the time and it's so either ourselves to ourselves, you know, that little voice that's Mm. going in the background, Mm. or it's ourselves to others, um, or it's others to others where we're impacted with the conversation that's going on. So while everyone has some influence over their language, leaders have a huge advantage in shaping, changing, or endorsing those existing language rules. And you know, leadership and language go hand in hand, whether we like it or not, we all have a choice. We can be thoughtful and intentional about our language leadership, or just mindlessly go along with the prevailing language norm in our community and we can make the most of this opportunity or just scrape by. So, you know, we can take responsibility for the meaning our leadership has on our community or not. But one thing's for sure, we as leaders are language leaders. And the only question is, what kind of language leaders do we want to be?
0: Mm, That's that's a a very good point. A lot of food for thought there, Frank. Um, What do you mean by the meaning our our leadership has on our community?
1: I read a fascinating book um, by Viktor Frankl, and and he discussed in his book, uh, it was entitled Man's Search for Meaning, and that finding meaning in life is a fundamental human need And can be achieved even under the most challenging circumstances. Now, Frankl was a survivor of the concentration camps, and he emphasized that individuals can choose their attitudes and responses to life's challenge, regardless of the external circumstances. And Frankl proposes that meaning can be found through three primary sources. The first, um, and I find this fascinating, is work And our creative endeavors. So, you know, we can really find meaning through our work or meaning through our creative or artistic endeavors. The second thing that we can find meaning in is relationship with others. And the last, quite strangely, is our ability to find meaning in unavoidable suffering. And you, you know, you see suffering all around the world at the moment, whether it's Ukraine, the Middle East. You know, South America. There are the floods. There are mm. the fires. When people have got the ability to find meaning in unavoidable suffering, um, they actually find that that urge, that that strength, to go on.
0: It's a good point you make. Uh, continue. <laughs> well, you know, the
1: the first four podcasts that we'll take it will be a step by step process to create your own and our listeners. Um, customized versions of this new technology. So it's a mental machine for making our personal learning. And we use four new language forms, or types as tools to introduce you to this immune system gradually. Gotta do it gradually, otherwise it's overwhelming. And so your balance of powers, the forces that keep your immunity intact, and the possibilities of going beyond it. So each podcast will form a standard way of thinking into a new language form so the first in the podcast is we'll be looking at the language of complaint and how we can actually transform those complaints into the language of commitment and if anyone's worked in any workplace at all you'll be aware of the constant complaints that come up about you know what people can't stand but the really fascinating thing behind it, Henry, is that if you actually can see the complaint and get below the complaint, you actually can see what they stand for that has this complaint be in existence. Now, the second podcast that we're going to do is from the language of blame, which you know we're all um, responsible Ooh. for. but. Changing that blame, transforming that blame into the language of personal responsibility. So in any situation, rather than blaming the traffic, blaming the person who rammed us from behind when we were sitting at the stop (laughs) sign, we can actually look at what can we be personally responsible for. And the third podcast is the language of resolutions. You know, and how often we make these New Year's resolutions about this Mm -hmm. is what I'm going to do. But people don't understand that there are competing commitments all of the times, like these value commitments. You know, when I say, oh, I'm really committed to my job, but I've got this other value commitment called my family. So when you're waiting for that work to be on your desk by, you know, three o'clock Friday afternoon and you get the phone call saying, oh, my family's sick, I haven't done the work. Um, we find the lack of workability in all of that. So we look at transforming those resolutions into competing commitments. And and the fourth is the language of assumptions that holds the language, um, you know, holds us to the assumptions that we hold rather than the commitments. So, you know, from there, we look at the language of prizes and praising to the language of ongoing regard. And I don't know about you, Henry. <laughs> But the last time that, you know, someone praised you in public, but the the way that they praised you, you were left with the conversation inside of you going, mate, if you really knew, um, you know, uh, how much I doubted myself, you wouldn't be saying how confident I am. Those sort of things. Um, The language of rules and policies to the language of public agreement and lastly from the language of constructive criticism to the language of deconstructive criticism. And so if you find value in this machine, you'll want to actually maintain it and upgrade it.
0: Mm, There's an awful lot in that, Frank. Oh, there is. Yeah, absolutely. What have you got in store for us in the last three podcasts?
1: Well, the last three podcasts, we're going to introduce you to a language that's specifically designed to maintain and upgrade your mental machine. Because maintenance is crucial for us as individuals seeking, you know, personal growth. And always, you know, being able to ask yourself, well, what's behind my complaint? What's behind my blame? Um, How come I'm not um, actually delivering on my resolutions? Um, what's this whole guilt about the language, you know, that I've received, you know, in praise? Um, what's, what's my ire about, you know, constructive criticism? Because I don't know about you, Henry, but I hate being constructively criticised. Um, but once you learn how to do deconstructive criticism it just becomes so much easier to maintain a relationship with someone while you agree on virtually no points. Mm. So, you know, as leaders, we want to enhance our learning within our organizations, Uh, but there's a whole lot of stuff to be done. And, you know, I was having a look at some stats recently, Henry, that transforming the culture in an organization and, and particularly a big one often takes about seven years. That's a
0: long time. And enormous amounts of money. Yes, that's another, another obstacle to, uh, I certainly find in our, our system of education, uh, we, we often ask for more money and of course uh, people say it's not all about money.
1: No, well, that's right. Um, I recently read about you know a big transformational project that occurred in Western Australia with a company called Woodside,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and while there was a champion there, you know there were 5,000 people being engaged in this transform cultural transformation program. Soon as the CEO moved, the new CEO came in and says, "I don't like this woo-woo stuff. Uh, let's get rid of it." Um, so, you know. Actually transforming the culture inside of your organization doesn't have to be a huge gig, but there are particular languages that you need to look at and need to look at using regularly to make that whole thing easier.
0: Now... A thing I've discovered in my profession, and I think we're not Robinson Crusoe with this, Frank, is that um, the three years that we've had uh, uh, plus of COVID and the yeah. the, the backwash of that, um, the language of hope is almost non-existent in in our profession at the moment. Beyond the fact that the children are the future, uh, is all this doom and gloom. Where's the light at the end of the tunnel? Um, a lot of what. We're talking about here. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. It's uh, it, it it implies a language of hope. Look, it
1: certainly does. You know, if you can convert anything that you're dealing with into a possibility, you know, it's it's not about a vision, but something that becomes possible, something that's bigger than you. You know, something where you can be authentic and fully self-expressed. Then it's got a an enormous potential. To actually empower you to get engaged in, um, but uh, something that uh, holds you small, as you know, Henry, um, something in something in which you feel diminished or less of, has got very little likelihood of actually engaging and empowering you.
0: Mm. Language of itself can't change anything, but without the language of uh, of hope, um, improvements unlikely to occur would that be a reasonable assumption to make
1: I think so I think it's a well-proven fact that um, you know affirmative uh, and positive language uh, even and affirmations uh, for yourself can actually lift you out of the doldrums and give you some sort of a possibility for uh, reaching for something bigger than you for the day Uh, so you know we need every little thing these days to help us Um, be able to improve our leadership and become the sort of leader that people want to follow
0: absolutely so so with this series of podcasts and uh, this structured approach to this new technology a mental machine for your personal learning it also implies frank that uh, people are searching for something other than just an ad hoc impulsive spur of the moment uh, hot flush of enthusiasm approach to uh, improvement
1: uh you know you're absolutely so right um I remember a a quote from uh, George Bernard Shaw and that has always inspired me. Um, And it goes something like this, Henry. Mm -hmm. This is the true joy in life, the being used for a purpose recognized by yourself as a mighty one. The being a force of nature instead of a feverish, selfish little clod of ailments and grievances complaining that the world will not devote itself to making you happy. I'm of the opinion that my life belongs to the whole community. And as I, as long as I live it, it's my privilege to do for it whatever I can. I want to be thoroughly used up when I die. For the harder I work, the more I live. I rejoice in life for its own sake. Life is no brief candle for me. It's a sort of splendid torch would I have got hold of for the moment and I want to make it burn as brightly as possible before handing it to the future generations.
0: Very powerful and positive words by Shaw, a great great writer in, in his time.
1: Uh, Look, um, you know, and I often fall back on it uh, when I'm (laughs) becoming this feverish, selfish little clot of ailments and grievances, (laughs) complaining that the world won't make me happy. You know, and I think everyone's a bit the same. Why me? How come this has fallen on me? Oh, it's not fair, rather than... You know, we deal with what lands in our lap and we deal with it as powerfully as we can and we move on with it. It's a beautiful life and we need to make the most of it.
0: Oh, couldn't have uh, framed it better myself. You've already made the rest of my day one where I my, my I will tread more lightly on the ground as I work through the day, Frank. I want to thank you. Uh,
1: Always a pleasure, Henry.
0: In completion, what are you? I mean, you can't really top those words, but have you got anything else to top? Oh, Henry, uh, the...
1: I just, just want to let your listeners know that, you know, they can bring some notes, um, they, a piece of paper, I'm going to bring a continual thing to this conversation where we can see something gets exposed um, in um, our language and the way we can transform it. So by the end of the podcasts, um, it's my um, commitment that people have really got value out of this and are going to be confronted with situations where they can use the work that we've been talking about.
0: Makes good. And what can people look forward to again in our next podcast? Henry, in our next podcast, we're going to look at um,
1: transforming the language of complaints to the language of commitment. And if people could just understand that, you know, when they've got a persistent complaint that's been around for ages um, and it's costing them an awful lot. You know, I know that the persistent complaints that I've had around things have cost me my vitality, you know, my self-expression, they've cost me time, they've cost me sleep, energy, money. Um, When you're aware of all of these costs, and you still can't ditch the persistent complaint, you need to be confronted with the fact that you're getting something far more powerful out of having this persistent complaint stay in place than it's costing you. And, you know, most reasonable people would say well that's just rubbish you know because it's mm. costing me all of this and we get to show people next week what they get out of um, by having persistent complaints stay around and stay in place and and once you're aware of being able to have a close look at the technology I can guarantee you that you'll be looking very closely at some of the persistent complaints that you've had around for a long time.
0: Mm can't wait frank thank you so much for that uh, that that enlightening uh, introduction to this new series on uh, leadership empowerment and practical ways of making the most of our beautiful lives as you put it
1: oh thanks henry i'm really looking forward to joining you and your viewers um, uh, over the period
0: that was uh, frank marinko executive coach and facilitator at empathinko and pass away